Um, Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the portico called Solomon's, astounded. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000.
Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. Mark, thank you so much for inviting me to serve God's word uh, to God's people. And thank you for your hospitality to, to me. And uh, I, I'm also really thankful for the music team. It's really encouraging uh, just to hear the truth sung. And um, thank you guys for uh, serving us so well this morning so far. Uh, let's, as we look at Acts 3, let's ask for God's help as we uh, consider this passage. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who inspired it. And we ask that he would be our teacher this morning. Please soften our hearts. Please help us to hear your voice through the pages of the Bible. And please speak to our hearts this morning. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, they say uh, beggars can't be choosers. Though I'm not sure every beggar uh, sees it that way. Uh, some can be quite choosy, at least in my experience. Uh, I once gave a box of peanut butter granola bars to a beggar. I was out in Charlotte, North Carolina, outside of a grocery store. And I thought, he's going to love these. They're going to fill him up. He's going to be so thankful. And the first words out of his mouth were, I hate peanut butter. He was a bit underwhelmed. Unlike him, the crippled man in Acts 3 gets far more than he expected. He gets new ankles, uh, restored feet, a restored relationship with the God who created him. And as we heard as Mark read Acts 3, this crippled man is raised up by Jesus' power through the Apostle Peter. And he got a taste of what we, many of us long for, perfect health, uh, wellness, wholeness, if you're relatively healthy here this morning, it's easy to forget what a blessing uh, good health is. As soon as uh, we get sick, I know this is the truth for me, as soon as I get sick, I feel unwell. Uh, the one thought that dominates my mind is, I just want to feel healthy again. This man got a taste of it, of, of being restored. Now, uh, this miracle is a sign. Uh, notice if you have a Bible open, uh, Chapter 2, verse 43, many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Now, a sign is not just a miracle. A sign is a miracle with a teaching point. It's a miracle with meaning. The healing of this crippled man is a sign, and of course the question is, well, a sign of what? What does it mean for us today? And here's what I want to show us from this text uh, this sign done in Jesus' name means that Jesus will return to restore all things. That's, I think, the main point, that Jesus will return to restore all things. And so we're going to look at it under two points, the sign that Jesus, through Peter, restored the crippled man, and secondly, the sermon that Peter gives that explains the meaning of the sign which is that Jesus will restore all things. Does that make sense? Are you with me so far? So first, the sign. Uh, you can see the apostles Peter and John, they went up to the temple around 3 p.m. in Jerusalem to pray, and a man crippled from birth is being carried to the temple. Now just try to picture him. Let's just slow down here for a moment. Try to picture him. We're told in chapter 4, verse 22, uh, he's over 40 years old. 
He's never walked a day in his life. His parents never felt the joy of seeing him take his first steps. He's been unable to move himself for over 40 years. And this day begins like any other day. He's carried to the beautiful gate to beg from those entering the temple, and it's anything but beautiful. And he sees Peter and John and asks them for money, and they look intently at him. And as any beggar would do when someone pays them attention, he becomes razor-focused on Peter and John. And look what Peter says to him in verse 6. Key verse. I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by his authority, rise up and walk. And immediately the crippled man is raised up. Immediately his feet and ankles are made strong and he walked. Just like that. And verse 8 is beautiful. He enters the temple which it seems he was excluded from. He enters the temple walking and leaping and praising God and springing in the air like a ballerina, maybe not as graceful, but full of life and bouncing with joy and praise to God. It's beautiful. Now, notice uh, the nature of this miraculous sign. The man's feet and ankles are instantly healed and totally healed. It's not like a partial healing. If you've ever broken an ankle or some other bone, is an ankle a bone? You get what I'm saying. If you've broken an ankle or something, when the cast comes off, it takes time to regain muscle strength, and that's just after several weeks of inactivity. What about 40 years? Presumably, no muscles, and snap. He's walking and leaping and praising God instantly because of Jesus' authority, his power. Think about what's going on here. Muscle tissue that did not exist was created out of nothing. New creation. And if you've read Luke's gospel, I'm sure most of you here have. I'm sure you've noticed that this miraculous sign, it looks just like Jesus' miracles during his earthly ministry. And so the question is, why does Jesus, who's in heaven at this point, ascended to the throne, why does he work through the apostle Peter like this? Uh, One of the reasons is that this sign and all the signs confirm the apostles as God's spokesman. Again, notice chapter 2, 43. The signs were done. This is important. Who, Who were they done through? the apostles. Now, we don't want to overstate it. It's not exclusively them, them, excuse me, because in Acts 6, signs were done through Stephen, who's not an apostle, but the signs were done primarily through the apostles to authenticate them as God's messengers so that we would listen to their message. And that's what happens here. I mean, just imagine being there. The people see this sign. They see the same man they would see every day uh, begging at the beautiful gate, now walking and leaping and praising God. And think about for them, as Jews, this is in Jerusalem, as Jews, this sign is speaking their language. Uh, You may have heard Mark read, uh, I hope you heard, uh, uh, Isaiah 35, that, that verse, when the Lord comes to save his people, the lame will leap like a deer. They see that, they see him, 
But they don't see the Lord. They see the man who's been healed, uh, clinging with joy, of course, to Peter and John. And so, of course, they, they want to hear from the Apostle Peter. What's going on with this sign? What is the meaning of this sign? What is Peter going to say? Now, before we hear uh, Peter's explanation of this sign, let's just think, think with me for a moment just about the goodness of this miraculous sign. I think we know all too well what it's like to live in a fallen world where our bodies and minds break down. Don't you see something of yourself in the lame man? You probably do. From birth, we've all experienced the sad effects of mankind's fall into sin. Some of us this morning might be enduring long-term illness, caring for a loved one who is. I think of my mom this morning. She's got multiple sclerosis. She's had it for about 20, uh, how many years? A long time, since I was 12, 20, 27 years. Some of us may be carrying wounds that are emotional, that seem incurable, and we may feel helpless and hopeless and think there's no way out of this condition. There's no cure for wounds this deep. Well, in Jerusalem, in history, this miraculous sign actually happened. A man lame from birth suddenly leapt for joy through the Lord Jesus' power. And the question is, what does this mean for us here today? Well, God the Holy Spirit will tell us what it means through Peter's message to them, through his sermon in verses 11 to 26. This is the second point. See, here's the thing. To really understand what this healing, this sign, means for us, we do need to listen to the Apostle Peter's explanation of the sign, okay? Without his explanation, it's a guessing game. We're totally in the dark. And so here's the second point. Here's what it means for us today. It means that Jesus will return to restore all things, that Jesus is the one who will return to restore all things. Now, Peter says a whole bunch of things in this sermon. What is really at the heart of it? If you had to summarize what he's saying. A good summary is in chapter 4, verse 2. Look with me at it. You have a Bible open. It's a summary of what Peter and the other apostles were preaching. And look carefully. Let's look carefully at what it says. They were proclaiming. Notice what it says. They were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now notice, they did not just proclaim that Jesus rose from the dead, although that's true. They were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, the resurrection from the dead, as you know, is shorthand for the future day when God breaks into this fallen world to raise all who've ever died, to face him as judge, and also to judge all who are alive on that day. And for God's people, it's a day of ultimate restoration, of ultimate healing, when these weak bodies of sin and death are raised up to indestructible life and fully healed. As, and as part of, excuse me, look at verse uh, 21, as part of, will be restored, will be resurrected, will be fully healed, as part of 
the restoration of all things. New creation's coming. I think we sometimes forget this. God will not only heal his people, but heal the planet. Restore the whole created order. Everything will be fixed. Everything will be put in its proper place. Perfect harmony and right relationship with God. Of course, for those who reject the Lord, that means they'll be in the proper place where they belong. See, to proclaim in Jesus the resurrection of the dead means that Jesus is the one that every one of us here, every one of us living now, every one of us, everyone who's died already, will face as judge. Is that your view of Jesus this morning? That's what this means. It means Jesus is the one, and he is the only one, who can bring us into a restored relationship with God the Father and the restored creation and bring us ultimate healing. And that's really the point of Peter's sermon. Now, for the sake of clarity, hopefully, uh, we've jumped ahead. I've summarized the sermon. But remember, for the, for the Jewish crowd, all they see at this point is an undeniable sign. The lame beggar is healed. And so in verses 12 to 16, Peter clarifies what happened. And we're going to work through this fairly quickly. I hope we've got a sense for the, the whole, his whole sermon. But Peter basically says, look, and you can see why they might think it's, it's his power that's at work, the guy standing right next to Peter. He says, it's not by our power, and it's not by our piety that this man is able to walk. No, verse 13, the God of our fathers, and remember he's speaking to fellow Jews, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus. And notice, it's not just any Jesus. Peter, it's pretty amazing what happens here. He kind of goes on offense like a prosecutor. And he says to them, uh, this is uh, this crowd in Jerusalem where he was crucified, he says, you delivered him over to Pontius Pilate. As you know in Luke 23, even cruel Pilate, Pilate was a really cruel guy. Even cruel Pilate offered to release Jesus. Remember Luke 23, should I release a Jesus or Barabbas, a murderer? And you chose to release a murderer and denied the holy and righteous one, the Lord Jesus, justice. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. God reversed uh, your verdict on him, or God gave the real verdict by raising him from the dead. And he's saying, we're eyewitnesses of that. And the point is, if you want to know what happened with this, this miraculous sign, it's verse 16. It's by his name. It's by faith in Jesus' name that this man who's right in front of their eyes has been given perfect health. That's the point of it. This healing, they, uh, he says, means that God has glorified his servant, Jesus. It means that Jesus is the resurrected Lord. It means that Jesus is the one they've been waiting for. The Christ, the Messiah, the one God spoke about through Moses and all the prophets. Uh, verses 17 to 26, we're not going to have time to look at those in depth and detail. But really, the point of those verses is that the Jews were expecting the promised Messiah to restore all things. And the point is, all he's saying is, Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. It's him. Now, 
Think about what this means for them. It means they're thinking, we just killed the Messiah. We're on the wrong side of Jesus, the Messiah. Therefore, we're on the wrong side of God. And surely we deserve to be blotted out of God's kingdom and miss out on the promised restoration of all things. And so verse 17, it's amazing. Peter's sermon turns a corner. And he tells his fellow Israelites, notice how he includes himself with them. He tells his fellow Israelites, turn back to God. He says, through their ignorant act of killing Jesus, Scripture was fulfilled. God fulfilled his promise that the Messiah would suffer. And in spite of their wickedness, this is amazing. When you consider who he's speaking to, in spite of their wickedness, he's saying, Jesus the Messiah wants to bless you. Isn't that amazing? He offers, who's he offering forgiveness to? To the very people who crucified the Lord Jesus. He will give them a restored relationship with God and a share in the restoration of all things. Them, the ones who crucified him. If they repent, if they turn to him and ask him for forgiveness. Now, uh, verse 19 is really the one command in the passage. Repent and turn back that your sins may be forgiven. Isn't that amazing? See, if Jesus is willing to erase all their sins, all of them, the moment they turn to him in faith, because of his death on the cross, he will forgive us, even our most wicked acts, the moment we turn to Jesus asking for forgiveness. See, a Christian is someone who has repented. It's not someone who has a really good track record of doing good things. It's someone who has repented, who has turned to the Lord Jesus, who has confessed to God, I'm in the wrong. I've mistreated Jesus Christ. He is the rightful king. I have not treated him as, I, as he deserves. And I'm turning to him and asking for forgiveness and, and acknowledging his rightful rule over me. That's a Christian. And maybe someone here this morning is realizing, I need to repent, even for the first time. And you don't know where to start? A good place to start is you could talk to the person who invited you to church. You could talk to Pastor Mark. But if, if, if the Lord's speaking to you in that way, I need to repent. Repent. Today. That's what, that's what this passage, that's what the Lord's saying to us through this passage. And to encourage all of us, if the people who killed Jesus can be forgiven, we can too. But we must turn to Jesus Christ. It's either we turn to Jesus and our sins are blotted out, all of them, all of them, and we wait his return with joy, or we refuse to repent, and we blot ourselves out of a share in the coming restoration. We won't be included in that. No. You hear the point? The Lord Jesus Christ, he is the only one who can bring us the ultimate healing we need, restoration with God the Father, 
and a share in the restoration of all things. The part of Connecticut I live in, people are really like super impressed with medicine and scientific advancements. And if, you're, if that's your field, that's wonderful. That's great. It's good. Okay? Don't hear me criticizing it. But you know, the best trained doctors using the best technology cannot provide the healing we need. And any doctor who's realistic will tell you, I've never saved anyone's life. I cannot save anyone's life. I can only delay the inevitable. All of our solutions for restoration fall apart, don't they? I mean, again, in the town I'm in, people think, if I just throw enough money at something, then it'll get better. Obviously, all the gold in Jerusalem couldn't do what Jesus did instantly for this crippled man as a sign that Jesus is the one who can give us the ultimate healing that we need, restoration with God the Father and a share in the restoration of all things. And so, again, what he's saying to us, what this passage is saying is repent, turn to him, and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance, that's the first application. And that's for all of us this morning. Now, this passage does have something to say to those of us who have turned to Jesus for forgiveness. And it's a great encouragement, I think. Uh, sometimes, uh, I think preachers, we can just always challenge, challenge, challenge. Sometimes passages encourage us as Christians. And I think this one does. Because what it means for us who believe is that you will be healed. You will be fully healed, fully restored. From head to toe, inside and out, Jesus will restore you completely. And it's not a maybe thing. He will do it. That's what it shows us. You can be sure of it. Full restoration uh, is certain. It is, it is certain. That's really the point. It is certain. But it's not yet, not now. And we see this in verse 21. Just notice what it says. Heaven must receive Jesus. And then notice the timing until the time for restoring all things. Now is not the time for that. It's only when Jesus returns in glory to earth that the created order will experience full healing. Full healing, again, it is certain. That's the encouragement. But it's not yet. Now, this is important. I used to serve in South Africa uh, with the uh, Reformed Evangelical Anglican Church. Okay? There's, there's such thing as that, actually. There's some Anglicans who actually believe the Bible. And I came across a lot. And you guys know this. If you've been overseas, Southern Africa, lots of places in the world, uh, uh, South America, I came across all the time health, wealth, prosperity teaching, pastors promising that if you come to Jesus, You'll enjoy perfect health now. And of course, I would point to verses like verse 21. It's not yet time for full restoration. And that needs to be said. We do not want to give people false hope. You know, sometimes when you come to Jesus, your marriage might get more difficult because you're under a new king's, uh, his rule, Jesus's rule. And maybe your spouse isn't. And so the marriage gets worse, actually. It's not always, it's not often actually come to Jesus and life gets better. Sometimes it's harder. 
And so we do need to be clear on the timing. But we can, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I did this too many times myself, we can focus so much on the not yet, it's not yet, not yet, that we lose sight of the wonderful truth that Jesus will bring us full healing if we're in him. Full restoration, it is sure. It's certain for those trusting Jesus. You will be fully healed inside and out. It is just a matter of time. See, when he returns, Jesus will restore everything. All the broken pieces put back together. Every wound healed. He'll put you back together. See, sin has impaired every part of us. And when Jesus returns, we'll finally be free from the presence of sin altogether, fully restored. Every wound healed, every disease cured, every tear wiped away, Jesus is going to bring it. And we can be sure of it. And that's what this sign signifies for us who believe. And again, this, this crippled man who's restored, it's a picture of what's coming for us. Just as he was restored to perfect health in Jesus' name, Jesus will restore us who've turned to him along with every part of the created order. And, and we need to hear this. Sometimes as Christians, I think we just lose sight of what we do have in Jesus. Uh, I've noticed some friends, it tends to be like baby boomer, older people. I don't mean to call anyone here older, sorry. But there's a lot of people who are kind of turning to, say, Marcus Aurelius, his writings to cope with life. Uh, He was a Stoic. Uh, I'm going to insult the philosophers here who know way more than me, but basically Stoicism is, it says, I can't change my circumstances, so I'll just grin and bear it. And maybe there's wisdom in that, but don't you see that in Jesus we have something so much better than that? Yeah, it's true, we can't change our circumstances, but Jesus will. He will. Now, it's not all for future. Uh, There is blessing to enjoy now. There's assurance of sins forgiven. Uh, Notice verse 20, repentance also leads to times of refreshing from the Lord. I take it uh, that the Lord Jesus gives the Holy Spirit, whose presence is a refreshing foretaste of the age to come. That's what that's talking about. But the Spirit's presence, it is just a little taste of what's to come. And this is also an encouragement. You know, the greatest joy you've experienced as a Christian, whatever that is, the best is yet to come by far. The deepest pain you've experienced will be turned to everlasting joy on that day. Just picture the joy of the crippled man just once more. For 40 years, a picture of living death. And suddenly, he's walking and leaping and praising God. He tasted life in all its fullness. That is a sign of what's coming for us who believe. This same Jesus, who made him completely new, will heal you completely. And so keep trusting him. Wait for him. And it's not just us that will be healed. Jesus will heal the planet, the whole created order. He will bring about a new creation. All the beauty and goodness of this one with none of the dysfunction, he will do it. He will do it. And again, it's he, Jesus, 
who will do it. And so now is the time. This, this impacts what we do now. Now is the time not to exhaust ourselves trying to do the impossible and fix this broken world, but to turn to the one who will and to point people to the one who will, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's conclude. As Christians, we have something much greater to give a broken, suffering world than silver or gold or granola bars. We have the gospel. The gospel is not that we need to make this world a slightly better place. The gospel tells us that Jesus is going to make it all better. And amazingly, he wants to include people like us, as sinful as we are, in his renewed, perfected creation. He's offering that to us here this morning, if only we'll turn to him. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who has died the death that we deserve, who has risen from the dead, and who will return to restore all things. And Father, we thank you for giving us repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Thank you for turning us to him, that our relationship with you has been restored through him. And thank you that you offer to forgive the sins of all who trust in the Lord Jesus. And so we pray that you would help us wait for Jesus' return with joy. And we pray that West Valley would continue to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to a dying world. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.